Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. And we ask that even now, O Lord, that you would come to us, live among us, change us according to your will. Make us wholly yours, O Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. My first pulpit was in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, at Christmas time, the, uh, the ACLU was on a tear to uh, uh, block manger scenes from being set up in city parks and that sort of thing. So I made a comment in my church about the ACLU being a Grinch trying to steal Christmas. I got in trouble for it. (laughs) Somebody reported me to the Presbytery. So I'm glad they can report me all they want now. (laughs) But you know, there there are forces all through history that would steal Christmas. And the story of the wise men coming into Bethlehem, they stop on their way. We're looking at those who were the academics, the professors, the, uh, uh, the wise men from probably from Babylon, and then they encounter the politicians in Jerusalem. And it seems to me that oftentimes we, we find academics and politicians to be among the Grinch faculty. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod about the time, and about that time some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars at rose. We've come to worship him. King Herod was disturbed. He heard this as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. And he asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. And he heard from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. After After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their gifts, their treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So there's a whole political backdrop to this story. And we don't even hardly know who these politicians are or were. Rome was the single most powerful entity on the planet that was known at that time. I'm sure if they had known more about China at that time, it would have been a powerful entity as well. But, but for the Western world, it was Rome. And so whoever was in charge of Rome had power. And, and they even claimed divine status. So in the Roman Empire, they were all there was. And then in the east, probably Babylon or thereabouts, the place where the Jews had spent some time because they seemed to have some of this background associated with their knowledge of the star. And wise men who were astronomers, astrologers, academics, a combination of all of those things, philosophers, they saw this star and they they became determined to go and see what this was all about. And they had done some work and found out that there was supposed to be a king born in Judea. Now, if you read the background on this star, there are all kinds of theories about it. Conjunction of planets, a comet, uh, a supernova. And I don't know why we can't just take the story as it comes to us. You know, history is made up of once-occurring events. All moments in history do not repeat themselves. And so, why do we have to rob the story of any wonder whatsoever by, by conjuring up some sort of a natural explanation? Why can't we let the story be the story and, and, and just not know how? and just have a sense of wonder about the story. It's a lot more fun, too. Our kids get it. Why don't we? Why do we have to make it something that we can look at and then repeat? I, I've come to the position where if I don't understand it, if it's something beyond my grasp, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. And maybe when we experience something that we don't understand, we're supposed to just be thankful for it. So that's what the wise men were. They were thankful. And they journeyed hundreds of miles, stopped along the way to see Herod. And this was at the time of Caesar Augustus. Now, the only way, reason we know about either of those names is because of the Christmas story. I wanted to share with you a little bit about Caesar Augustus, whose name was Octavian. The great-grandnephew of Julius Caesar joined with Mark Anthony after the assassination of Julius Caesar in 444 BC to punish and defeat Brutus and Cassius at Philippi in 42 BC. 
Octavian became the sole ruler after defeating Anthony and Cleopatra at Actium in 31 BC. He was given the title Augustus by the Senate in 27 BC. He died in 14 AD, having, des having designated his stepson Tiberius as his successor. And it was in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar that Jesus began his ministry. Now we all know that, right? That's all so familiar. The reality is that the most powerful people in the world we know nothing about. We have no awareness of who they were. We just, we've seen, you know, we, we saw the movie way back when with Anthony and Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. We, you know, we, but we, otherwise we don't know about this. We may have taken a class in high school or college, but none of it stuck. But we do know, we do know about those who were surrounding this event of Jesus' birth. So, as we know, as the story unfolds about Herod, Herod wants to go worship the baby. Right, we know what he did. He tried to kill the baby. Tried to kill Christmas. And it's a recurring theme. The story of Cromwell is also the story of an effort to cancel Christmas. The Puritan element in the mid-17th century was so self-righteous, so sure of themselves, that they became tyrannical in their self-righteousness. And they took great umbrage at the fact that the Brits, the English people, and others in the, in the uh, uh, British Isles were celebrating, laughing, probably drinking too much, eating too much. Typically, after such a celebration of this, there was an a, a explosion of babies about nine months later. And, and the, the leadership took great umbrage at this, and so they, they said that in 1647, they could not celebrate Christmas. No more. Well, of course, the people rebelled, and... They did it anyway, but the, the effort to cancel Christmas was foolish. And as we all know, the Soviet Union fell in 1991. Ironically, the Soviet Union flag, the hammer and sickle, came down for the last time on Christmas at 7.30 in the evening, on Christmas Day. I had the occasion in 1990 to go to St. Petersburg, Russia. And I was with a number of people who were worshiping, meeting together in, in households with Bibles that they had saved and their icons. The church had been underground for 70 years. And it couldn't be squashed, it couldn't be stopped. You cannot kill Christmas, meaning you cannot kill the reality of God's presence in the world. And, and yet we have in our own time those who would like to do so. So that's the politicians. Then we have the, uh, the professors, those who are so smart, so much smarter than all of the rest of us. 
And they, they just know better than all, all, of, all of us. And there's one gentleman who is a theologian who generally I like. His name is N.T. Wright. But he had this to say about Christmas. Jesus' birth usually gets far more attention than its role in the New Testament warrants. Christmas looms large in our culture, outshining even Easter in, popular, in the popular mind. Yet without Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, we would know nothing about it. One can be justified by faith with no knowledge of it. God's glory is revealed not in the manger, but on the cross. If the first two chapters of Matthew and the first two of Luke had never existed, I do not suppose that my own Christian faith or that of the church to which I belong would have been very different. I don't know. I love N.T. Wright, but I think he's wrong. He's right in a purely academic sense, but I think he's wrong in the sense that this is the celebration of the incarnation, of God taking on human flesh. And, you know, the academics can sit around and parse the scriptures and, and do all of that, and by the time they're done, there could be very little left for us to hang our faith on. Because they're going to take, they, they take the star away. They're going to say the, the shepherds were like hardly anything. They're going to take the Christmas story apart and all we're left with was the crumbs from their table. And then I looked up just to see if Christmas in our own time was viewed as being racist. And sure enough, a professor at Boston University, a Catholic college, has made her reputation by declaring that Jingle Bells has racist roots. So presumably, we cannot sing Jingle Bells because we're going to be viewed as racists. And all I can say is to all of that, so what? If God wants to come to us and hang a star in the sky, even provide the Magi an atmospheric star at the last minute that leads them from Jerusalem five miles away to Bethlehem, I can accept that. I can celebrate that. And, and if, the, if the shepherds out in the fields watching the flocks had been hitting their wineskins a little bit too hard that night, and, and yet they came and they saw and they wondered, I can accept that. This, this story is not, it's not just a myth. It's a story that that has deep and profound meaning that, that comes forth from the human heart. And, and there's a longing that we all have, that, that God-shaped vacuum that is empty until he fills it. 
The wise men came, they saw, they were transformed, and they went home away in a way that Herod wouldn't find them. There would be no trace. The shepherds came and declared the good news. And Mary and Joseph, as they just pondered all of this, because who do we really know about? We know about them. We, we know about the disciples. We know about the characters of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and John and Peter. Those are the ones we do know about. All the others have faded. Just like all of these guys that I read, they're all going to fade. But that which is sustained is, can be visualized by this young couple. Can you imagine? She's near term. And some bureaucrat has declared that they have to go to their hometown to register. Why? So they can pay a tax. And so they make their way 70 miles or thereabouts down to Bethlehem. In all likelihood, she, as all of our Christmas cards show us, even though there's no reference in the scriptures about her riding on a donkey, in all likelihood, she was riding on a horse or a donkey some way to help her. And at least that long ride didn't issue forth in her going into labor. But these two came and there was no place for them. Yes, there was family there, but maybe there had been word out about this problem pregnancy. Maybe there was some kind of relational breakdown because nobody believed what they had said. And so they were alone and desperate and scared. And then of all things, Mary breaks water. And Joseph has to try to see her through this horrendous moment. Both of them terrified. And here they are in the purified sanctity and, and um, well, they're in a barn. <laughs> It's messy, it's dirty, and they give birth. She gives birth. So they made their way. They made their way to a city that was taller than Rome, to a city that was older than Eden. And when they arrived, God was homeless as he was born. And he yet provided a home for all who found their pilgrimage to that, to that place. In him, we find our home. In him, 
The hopes and fears of all the years are met. Will you join me in prayer? Thank you, O Lord, that we have found a home in your homelessness. Thank you, O Lord, that we have found a home in the, in the place of anguish and fear of, the, of Joseph and Mary. And thank you, O Lord, that we are in a time and a place that is not capable of taking from us our sense of wonder of all you have done and all you give. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.